This is KUT 90.5. I'm Nathan Bernier. The assassination of civil rights hero Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. happened 50 years ago today in Memphis. And people across the country are, of course, reflecting on his tragic death and the state of racial justice in America today. One of those people is Peniel Joseph, the founding director of the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Joseph, thanks for your time today. Hey, thank you for having me. So you wrote in in Newsweek an article that got a lot of attention that we more comfortably remember King's political activism during the civil rights movement's heroic years from 1954 Supreme Court Brown versus Board of Education decision that outlawed public school segregation and the 1965 signing of the Voting Rights Act. But you say that America ignores at its peril the earlier Martin Luther King Jr., who embraced the militancy and impatience of a newer generation of activists. So what can you tell us about the radical king, the one who was criticized in the American press as being too subversive? Well, the radical king is the Martin Luther King Jr. who, in the aftermath of the Watts Los Angeles uprisings in 1965, really embraces a reimagining of American citizenship, a radical citizenship where every American has the right to good health care, a living wage, a decent job, good public schools, good neighborhoods, in an environment that's free of violence and, and war. So that king is the king who, in the last three years of his political career, moves to Chicago and confronts Mayor Richard Daley. And he confronts white mobs that are actually bigger in Chicago and outside of the city of Chicago and the suburbs that are segregated, bigger than the ones he faced in Birmingham, Alabama, and in Mississippi and in other parts of the South. So that king is the one who breaks with Lyndon Johnson on Vietnam, who begins a poor people's campaign to get a guaranteed income and organize a camp in in Washington, D.C. So that king is really somebody who's speaking truth to power and making the argument that the triple threats facing humanity are militarism, materialism, and racism. How can we look at the historical king and connect him to the Black Lives Matter movement today? Well, I think the historical king is somebody who's constantly trying to speak truth to power and really confront institutions within American democracy and really global society that are perpetuating poverty, perpetuating violence, perpetuating racial discrimination. And he's willing to do this even when the applause stops. So when you think about Black Lives Matter, their argument that the criminal justice system represents a gateway, a panoramic gateway to multiple systems of oppression is very, very similar to what Dr. King was talking about. And they really link that argument to a critique of American exceptionalism, this idea that America is such this important country, it's liberty's surest guardian, but we have all kinds of contradictions with that identity, right? So we've got drone wars, we've got preemptive wars, we've got poor people here, we've got over two million people in prison. And what King says in his last speech is, all we ask of America is to be true to what you put on paper. And he's talking about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So King recognized the yawning gap, really a chasm between America's democratic rhetoric and its the reality of American democracy for sharecroppers, for black people living in ghettos, for Chicano farm workers, for Native Americans, for poor black women who were uh, part of the Welfare Rights Association and, and Welfare Rights Organization and organizing for small d democracy and real citizenship. So King and Black Lives Matter are connected in terms of reimagining 
what black citizenship really means. King forced political leaders and the nation to face uh, uncomfortable truths 50 years ago. What are some of the uncomfortable truths we need to face today regarding racial justice in America? Well, I think it's the fact that racial justice is intertwined with these movements for gender justice, these movements for ending gun violence, um, movements for the rights of immigrants and religious freedoms as well. So one of the more painful truths that we have yet to face is the fact that racial justice is connected to social and political justice for all people. It's just that we get to that universal idea of human rights through the particular experiences of African Americans in this country because they've been on the lowest rung economically, politically, socially, and culturally by virtue of their original status in terms of racial slavery in this country. So the big connection is really understanding how the struggle for racial justice is actually a struggle for citizenship, an expansive universal citizenship for for all people. And and it's part and parcel of what American democracy is supposed to stand for globally, because King was a global figure. The reason why when we had the Arab Spring in Egypt and other parts of the Middle East, people were shouting slogans from the civil rights movement and placards with King is because King has become this global universal symbol of human rights. And of course, in 1964, becomes the youngest person given the Nobel Peace Prize. So when we think about King, King is of global significance, and he really is somebody who forces or tries to force the country to live up to its own ideals. We're sitting here, and it's been 50 years since Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. How do you think his assassination changed America's perception of him? Well, I think the assassination um, is going to have multiple uh, implications. I mean, on one level, what the assassination does is allow for King to be rehabilitated in the eyes of mainstream Americans. Over 100 million people view his funeral in Atlanta. Major presidential candidates attend that funeral. Washington, D.C. has flags at half-mast. And there's going to be a rehabilitation that really takes from the time of his death. Fifteen years later, there's a national holiday um, in King's honor. And now there's a memorial in Washington, D.C., and he's a large part of the African-American museum that's on the mall now. The price that was paid was that King's radical legacy and really the revolutionary implications of his social justice activism have largely been glossed over or lost or ignored. So the nation feels much more comfortable with Martin Luther King Jr. up until 1963 in the I Have a Dream speech march on Washington than they do with King at Selma or King in Chicago or King in Watts or King um, at the Riverside Church in New York where he speaks out against the Vietnam War or the king who's talking about structural racism and criticizing white supremacy, and the king who's anti-capitalist, who's a big critic of the way in which liberal democratic capitalism works in terms of impoverishing tens of millions of Americans, and who's a big critic of the president of the United States and the war in Vietnam. So that king gets lost in favor of a king who's sort of embracing American exceptionalism and embracing democratic reforms that largely stop short of his most ambitious goals and legacy, which was really this idea of a beloved community, multiracial democracy that was free of poverty and racial and economic oppression.
Peniel Joseph is a professor of history and the founding director of the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Joseph, thank you for talking to KUT. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you.